Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right. We are in the midst of a series. I've been struggling to, on how to refer to this series, what to call this. And really, uh, what, what we're talking about is that where God is taking you is going to demand a new you. The old you is not sufficient for what God's taking you into. That's why we got to keep on growing. And so who you are is sufficient for who, what God's required of you thus far, but where he's taking you is going to demand a new you. And so we've got to grow into our future. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God hath prepared works in advance that we may walk in them. There's works already prepared in your future waiting for you to fulfill them. But the you that will fulfill them is not the you that you are today. It's the you that you will become. And one of the great tragedies is to arrive to your future unprepared because you didn't cooperate with God's dealings in the present. And so God wants to transform us. We are always to be growing. God has put things in us that he wants to get out of us. He wants to develop you. He wants, you can call it discipleship, you can call it maturity, you can call it whatever you want, but God wants to grow you up and he wants to release what he's put in you on the earth. And so that, that process is a process of discipleship and growth and transformation. And so we've been talking about that and one of the things we were talking about, I was gone last week. Hey, John, Pastor John did such a great job last week. I was watching from the comfort of my bed, my laptop. I was getting my praise on in bed. And uh, it was, man, I tell you what, we've got some great techs here. Uh, man, I, the sound was awesome. It, I mean, we, it, yeah, anyway, I'm just bragging now, but it was great. So, uh, but two weeks ago when I was preaching, we were talking about how relationships are a key to change. Let me put it this way. The primary thing that needs to happen in your life for you to transform, other than getting saved, you need to be born again. You need to have the life of God living within you. When that happens, then the next thing that needs to happen is you need, what did Paul say in Romans chapter 12? You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He didn't say the removal of your mind. He wants to grow you by growing your understanding. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, grace and peace be towards you through your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to grow, you gotta know. You've gotta grow in your knowledge if you're to grow in your faith. And so God begins to expand your understanding of yourself, of him, of the kingdom, and he grows you up in that way. And so the way to be transformed is you've gotta be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your mind is a lid that can keep you from growing in God it can keep you from going where you need to go in God. And so we need to confront those belief systems. We need to uh, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So in order to grow, you've got to be renewed in your mind. And in order to be renewed in your mind, one of the primary things you will need for that is relationships. There are things God cannot that's, I, I chose that word very carefully. God cannot, not because he's not able, but because there's a limitation in you, he cannot teach you alone. 
There are things that you would cry out for in your private prayer closet he can't give to you until you get around some other people. There are things that he wants to instruct you in that are only going to come through relationship. Relationships are the, the network or the social grid work. Or the, it's, it's the container of God's transformative process in your life. And so you've got to be running with some other people. And it's within those relationship that, relationships that God begins to affect change. One of the reasons, and this is just one of them, one of the reasons for that is there are things that God wants to change in you that you have no way of knowing that is even needs changed in your life until you have the example of somebody else that's living that outright. Let me say that in a, a clearer way. There are things about you that are dysfunctional. Now I'm meddling. There are things about you that are unhealthy in the way you live. But you won't even know that if you just keep that to yourself. Because there's nothing to compare it to. You ever noticed how God can speak to you through a sermon or through his word or through a situation and all of a sudden after he opens your eyes to that you see it all over the book? And you're wondering, what God, why didn't I see that before? It's because you had no reference point. And so what God will often do is use relationships to highlight something that needs to change in your life. And so relationships are key. And there is a, there, there is a, a depth that is inaccessible to you alone. There is a depth in God. There are things he wants to teach you. There are things he wants to impart to you. There are things that he wants you to walk in and mature in that are inaccessible to you when you're alone. I said it two weeks ago. I'm a very patient, godly man when I'm alone. I don't have anger problem. I don't have a patience problem when I'm alone. But get me around other people and all of a sudden I'm painfully aware of some things that need to change in my life. And again, I know we talked about this two weeks ago, but I just want to go over this ground one more time real quick. 1 John chapter 1. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Then you will have fellowship with one another and then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Notice the progression. Walk in the light. Transparency. Then you will have fellowship, bleed, breeds intimacy, and then you, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, purity. Int, transparency will breed intimacy, and intimacy will lead to purity. There are things in your life you'll never be free from outside of engaging with other believers because you don't even know, the, you don't even know it's there, and God will push those things to the surface in the context of a relationship, and you can work through them there. And so we need to be open in relationships. We need to have a network of people that we're being transparent with, that we're being honest with. I said it two weeks ago. The, the, the enemy will hide in the very area that you hide from others. But if you'll bring those things to the table of relationship and be open, you expose the enemy's activities in your life. I've said it a million times, what sounds true in a monologue, in a discussion inside your own head, is exposed for the lie that it is in a dialogue. You ever been talking to someone about something you've believed and all of a sudden you're embarrassed that you believe it? 
Because in talking about it, all of a sudden you realize how silly that is to believe that thing. That's why we need those relationships. We need to get those things out. And so transparency will breed intimacy. And the level of your transparency is the measure of your intimacy. If you have shallow relationships, it's because you have a small level of transparency. You're not being open with people. If you are open with people, you will develop intimate relationships. And that intimacy will lead into purity. God will begin to use them to uproot some issues in your life. And so this is a crucial thing. Now, so what I want to talk about this morning, I'm kind of just trying to poke around here, figure out which direction we should go. Let me put it this way. Today in ministry, we need more than good theology. We need theology. And the problem is a lot of times our training centers center heavily on theology and that, that needs to be in place. Make no mistake about it. We need to understand the word. We need to be rooted in the word. But we also need a solid biblical psychology. I'm, and, and note I said biblical psychology. Psychology is simply the study of the soul. We need to understand how the soul works. If you don't understand how your own human soul works, then you're not going to be able to apply your theology to your own life. There are a lot of people who can quote scripture and explain theology whose lives are a train wreck. Because there's a disconnect between their theology and their own personal life. They don't know how, what's the on-ramp and how do I take this and apply it to this. And so we need to begin to understand the human soul, how it works. How do I keep myself encouraged? How do I keep myself motivated in the things of God? How do I guard my heart from temptation? All of those things really fall in the realm of biblical psychology. How do I, how does the human soul work? And the human soul is where discipleship happens. You are spirit, soul, and body. You're a Trinitarian being. You are saved, you are born again when the Spirit of God comes to dwell in your human spirit. You are immediately born again. That is an event. But you are being saved in your soul. And that is a process. And often a long one. And it has to do with your mind being renewed. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. We are renewing our minds. We are healing our emotions so that we make good decisions in our will. So then our body will carry out healthy living. And if you, have, if you believe lies in your mind and you are acting out of wounded emotions then you will make unhealthy decisions in your will and your body will behave according to your belief system. And you will live out a dysfunctional life. And so we need to understand how the human soul works. And so it's not just understanding theology in some disconnected way. Anybody ever heard of Warren Wearsbury? Warren Wearsby? He, uh, he's written a lot of books, and he had this statement. He would preach to preachers, and he would say, nobody cares what kind of helmet the Hittites wore. Their marriage is struggling. And what he was saying is preachers can get so much into the details of Scripture. The Hittites had this kind of helmet, and it was made of this kind of metal, and it has nothing to do with our life. 
We need to know how does this book, this living book, this is when I wish I had my physical Bible and not just my phone or computer because you hang it there and it flops and it just looks more dramatic when you say this stuff. This book that's hanging here, this book is meant to be applied to your human soul. And so we need, to, we need a revelation of who he is, but then we need a revelation of who we are. We need to understand the human soul. And then we need to go from our theology to our psychology into a biblical sociology. In other words, what are the social dynamics? How do relationships work? Because that is the context in which you're going to live out your Christian life. And so the more we understand of relationships, why am I saying all this? One of the reasons I'm saying it is because it's inevitable when you get into these types of subjects, some people want to say, well, why don't you just get back to the word? This is where the word, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the Christian life is lived out. How do we have healthy relationships? And if we don't have healthy relationships, it's because we're not healthy emotionally. And if we're not healthy emotionally, we're not going to be able to sustain what God does in our life. Two weeks ago, we were talking about the difference between character and culture. Character is what God does in you. It's you being, you have an encounter with God. God touches you. You see things in his word. He begins to do a personal work in you. But if that personal work does not translate into a relational transformation and your relationships are done in a more healthy way, then that personal work will die there. Again, we all can be very spiritual alone. What's really going to establish the work of God in your life is, this, is establishing it in your relationships. And so this relational dynamic is huge. So that brings me to what I want to talk about this morning. I don't know if you realize it or not, I don't know if any of us realize the tectonic shifts that are going on globally in this hour. These are historical shifts. These, this is, these are, the, what's going on in the earth in the last few years are hinges upon which history is swinging and we will look back before 2020 and after 2020. These are massive changes. And there's a push towards many very dangerous things globally. And God is up to the challenge. And when there's a shift like that in the earth, God is bringing his people into new places. There is a transition. You, as a believer, are in a transition whether you realize it or not. And this new territory, this new world that is emerging will demand a new believer. It will demand a new you, a new mindset. And so God is changing us. There's, I forget the name of the author, but he's got this famous quote. He says, that uh, in time, essentially what he's saying is this, in times of these types of transitions, people that were experts previously, they were experts, they were perfectly trained for the last season, will find themselves experts for a season that no longer exists. 
That's a disconcerting thing. You invest your life in a world that no longer exists. This is a new era. And so it's incumbent upon us to lean in and say, God, I want to understand what's going on in this hour. I want you to train me. I want to grow into this new season. We are in transition. And we need to understand, when we step into a new season, we don't step in fully prepared for the territory we step into. We are only prepared to step across the threshold and then we've got to grow into the rest. And that's why it seems so overwhelming. And if you're not feeling a bit overwhelmed, then you're not in tune with what's really going on. And that overwhelmed feeling is a good thing because God's taking you into a bigger territory. As I was just praying yesterday and meditating, this, this thought just kept rolling through my mind. That any time there's a new season in your life, God will send gatekeepers to usher you in. There are key relationships that God will assign to your life to bring you into your new season. There are people of influence that can open doors. And I'm not talking just about opportunities. It may be business opportunities or ministry opportunities, but it's not necessarily those things. Sometimes the doors being open are understanding in your own mind. But God will put influential people, and we need to understand the two most important relationships that you will have in times of transitions are prophets and enemies, encouragers and agitators, those who speak the word and validate the word and validate the truth in your life and those who oppose the truth in your life because both of them are key to bringing you into your future. One will validate it. He will speak into your life. You think of David. David went from being a shepherd boy and he was thrust onto a national platform and that was the beginning of David eventually occupying the role he was supposed to occupy in history. David went through series of anointings. There were three specific anointings that David received. He received the anointing to be king, but he, was a, he had an anointing but no position. That's a frustrating thing. He had the gift on him, but no outlet to express it. And that's an important process. That's an important time. And so we invested what was on him in the regime of another person who eventually became a man with a position with no anointing. That was Saul. You think having an anointing with no position is frustrating. Try having a position with no anointing. That's a sermon for another day, but that's a, that's a devastating thing. And so David was moving into a new season. David was a, a, a young boy living in obscurity, being dealt with by God. He was building personal intimacy with the Lord. And there were a few key events that suddenly thrust him on a national platform. What was it? There was a prophet named Samuel who spoke the word of the Lord over his life and uncorked a horn of oil and poured it over his head and said that you are going to be the next king. And that attracted an enemy. And the very next thing you see is David is on a battlefield facing a giant. And both of those were key to David coming into his new season. We all need encouragers. You look at Paul, who was first Saul, the persecutor of the church. 
And he gets radically saved in an open vision and sees Jesus and the people with him even heard the audible voice. And then he opens his eyes, he's blind, and he, he needs discipled. The problem is nobody in the church would receive him. They're all freaked out by him and scared of him. I mean, that's a bad deal when you answer the altar call and the church invites you to leave. You can't even find someone to disciple you until he found a Barnabas. Barnabas was a man of God who saw something in Saul that others didn't. And God will give you, his name literally means encourager. You see, both encouragers and enemies will see something in you no one else does. One will, will fuel it, the other will try to fight it. And you need both because both of them will call something out of you. And so God called Barnabas to come along Saul. And Saul, he, he, what Barnabas did is he leveraged his credibility to get Paul in the door. And God will give you people like that. And you need to be sensitive to that and understand who God's putting in your life. Because there are key people in times of transition that God is going to use to get you where you need to go. They will leverage their credibility and they will get you places where you couldn't get on your own. It may even just be understanding, places of understanding. It might be opportunities. It might be uh, you know, geographic locations, you fill in the blank. But I'm telling you, the way of God, the pattern of God, is God will put people in your life to get you across the, across the threshold. But the very next thing that will show up, there's a reason that David first encountered a prophet who validated his call before he faced a giant who opposed his call. And it was the validation, the oil on his head, that drew that, him into that battle. Other people could hear Goliath defaming their God and they were okay with it. But because David had oil on his head, something rose up in him and he said, I can't just stand by and watch this happen. You see, one person spoke the truth into his life and told him who he was and another, people, another person challenged that and it caused the fight to come out of David. We need both encouragers and opposers in our life. We need both of those. We need opposition and we need those prophetic people that are, are speaking into our life, encouraging us in the call. And we need to be sensitive to both. And we need to recognize both are ushers to bring you into your next season. There's a reason that Jesus heard, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And within a couple of, a few days, 40 days later, it says he hadn't eaten and he was hungry, I bet. And, he, and then the enemy comes to him and says, if you're really the son. He had encouragement and he had opposition. One spoke the truth, the other opposed the truth. And both were necessary to prepare Jesus for what he was going to step into. And if that's true of the son of God, it's true of you and I as well. David would have been unknown he would have been known to his family. He had oil on his head by the prophet, the man of God of the hour. And you know what he did after the oil came on his head? He went back out to be with the sheep. Just went back to his normal life. But in no time at all, he found himself in the proximity of a battle. And he was drawn in. And it was, that was the very thing that thrust him onto a national platform. 
the opposition of his calling. And he took out the enemy. And an enemy in our life, the struggle, the, the fresh conflict in your life, when a, when a fresh conflict, especially when it takes, a, when it has a personality, when, there, when it's centered in a person, when that opposition begins to rise in your life, understand it is a sign you're about ready to step into something fresh. Because the, the introduction of an enemy is the, it's, it's the announcement that you're about ready to move into something new. And so we've got to understand these two things. Relationships are crucial, but some relationships are more important than others. And those Barnabases in your life that will breathe on you and see things in you and pull you aside and encourage you when other people don't see those things in you. Value those relationships. Honor those relationships. But understand and value the agitators as well. Because God's going to use them to bring something new out of you. He's going to raise the fight in your soul through the enemies that he introduces. Anybody ever heard of Ron Carpenter? He's a preacher on TV. Anybody ever heard of him? Real buff dude, kind of like me. What are you laughing about? No, I'm just kidding. It, uh, but he's a great preacher. He wrote a book, The Necessity of an Enemy, Ron Carpenter Jr. Now the battle you face is the best opportunity. I want to encourage you. Look this book up. It, it'd be worth your read. The guy's got some real revelation on that second figure in your life. The necessity of an enemy. Because the enemy is often at the gate of your destiny. And when he rises up, get excited. Don't get discouraged. Realize that you're about to step into something fresh. So I want to pass that on to you. I think good books are a blessing. So we need both of those types of relationships in our life. And we need to be sensitive to who God's sending along. And we need to, be, we need to cultivate those relationships. Amen? Amen? All right. <clears throat> I'm going to read you a couple things here. I've been doing a lot of reading of notes. All right. When we talk about relationships, one of the primary purposes of relationships are to expose the lies that we believe. It really is. It's to encourage us in the truth, but often the first phase of that encouragement is it raises up an argument within our own heart. We argue with the truth, and that's what God is after. He's after those internal disqualifications that we've bought into. In order for you to step into your future, you've got to see yourself correctly. Because we can have mindsets of limitation that we can literally disqualify ourselves in our own mind. And so that is the purpose of the Barnabases, the encouragers. They will come along. That's the purpose of the Samuels that will speak things into our life. You realize that when David heard from Samuel, David was the least likely in his family. He was the black sheep in that family. Many scholars believe that David was most likely the result of an illicit relationship that his father, Jesse, had. And that when David wrote this phrase, in sin I was conceived, it's not talking about general, original sin in a theological sense. He was saying, literally, I was conceived in sin. And that would explain why 
when Samuel, the prophet of God, comes to their home, Jesse sends David out to the backside of the desert because the last thing you want walking around the room when the prophet arrives is the reminder of your illicit relationship. So he sends David out, why don't you just hang out with the sheep? But that was the very one that Samuel was coming for. And God was going to validate what he put within him. It wasn't about his circumstances. It wasn't about his standing in his family. It was about the posture he had towards heaven, the posture of his heart towards God. And so God sent Samuel to begin to speak that into his life. He began to validate that. And we need those those people that will begin to speak that into our life. And again, often what happens, the first time you hear a prophetic word about your life, the, the, the initial effect it has on you is it raises up an argument within your heart. Like Sarah, who laughed when she heard the promise from the angel. And Mary was troubled when she heard, you who are highly favored. And Gideon, who literally argued with the angel of the Lord. None of those are expressions of great faith. They're all expressions of deep doubt. But that was the precise purpose of those visitations. The Lord showed up to kick to the surface the internal disqualifications that if they held on to them would keep them from moving into their destiny. So God wants to send Barnabases. He wants to send Samuels. He wants to send prophetic people into your life to speak to your destiny and to call it forth. And he's trying to bring you into alignment, into agreement with what he says about you. Because as long as you argue with the word of the Lord, you'll never walk in the word of the Lord. You've got to align with it. You've got to come into agreement. You've got to be willing to say what he says about you. Humility is nothing more and nothing less than agreeing with what God says about you. And let me say, it is not humble to say things about yourself that you would never say about someone else. For you to run yourself down as an act of humility is actually a tool of the enemy to keep you from your destiny. And if you find yourself in your own internal dialogue saying things about yourself that you would never dream of saying to someone else, That is a sign you've discovered a lie that you're believing. And that's something God wants to go after. And he's going to bring the Barnabases and the Samuels into your life to go after those things. And those people that see things in you before others do are a gift from God and recognize them as the ushers who will bring you into your future. There are certain people that God has graced with the gift to see potential in other people. Barnabas was an encourager. He was the original man with a gift of exhortation. And one of the most crucial gifts in the body of Christ is a gift of exhortation. Somebody who was going around encouraging people, just seeing the gold in people and speaking it out and just making their way. And often those people won't be on a pulpit. They're not gonna be a person who maybe has a pulpit ministry, but I guarantee you they're gonna have a large reward in heaven and a huge harvest at the end of the age because encouragement is such a crucial thing. The enemy tries to discourage us and keep us 
wed to those lies we believe about ourselves. And the Barnabases and the Samuels come and begin to speak the truth and call that stuff to the forefront. And initially, it elicits the argument and the laughter and the statement, well, you just don't understand. Or you only say that because. After those things. And God is trying to bring you into agreement with what he says about you both in general in his word, but specifically what he says about you. Your unique makeup, your unique calling. The value that you bring to the table in this moment in human history. And until you can own that, and without embarrassment, own your gifts and callings, you will not walk in the fullness of those things. If you feel like it's humility to deny what God is saying about you, I'm here to tell you that is not humility. That is at least borderline disobedience. (laughs) It's not humility to disagree with the word of the Lord. And so we need to come in and we need to revisit those things. I I have two files on my computer and they have many, many, many documents in it. One is prophetic words over Heartland and one is prophetic words over my life and family. And I revisit both of those files very often. Because I want to get in my mind what God says about me and about this house. I want to remind myself. I want to see myself through the lens of what Jesus says. That's why John the Beloved, you know, he's known as John the Beloved, the Apostle of Love. The Apostle of Love refers to himself five times in the gospel that bears his name, the Gospel of John. He refers to himself five times with this phrase, the one whom Jesus loved. Now that may sound arrogant to you, but understand, he didn't say, I'm the one who Jesus loved over and above everyone else. Or I'm the one who Jesus loved rather than everyone else. What he was saying is, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. That was his identity. When he's writing the gospel, that's going to go on forever. It's, it's scripture. And by the Holy Spirit, he is inspired to refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. That is powerful. That that was so much a part of his identity and how he viewed himself that when he looked in the mirror and thought of himself, what came to mind? Oh, there he is. The one whom Jesus loved loved. Do you see yourself that way? If you don't, you haven't fully owned your identity. And to the extent that you haven't owned it is to the extent that you can't walk in it. The truth will set you free to walk in all God has called you to do. All he has called you to be. But you've got to own what he says over you. And so God will send those along. And when you find a Barnabas, when you find a Samuel, I'm telling you, value those people and frequent them. Find those people in your life. Now, I'm not saying look for an enemy, but I am saying look for some encouragers. Believe me, the enemy will find you. Often, the Samuel and the Barnabas, they're the ones that will hunt you down initially. And once you find them, start hunting them down. Listen to what they're saying. The enemy, they'll find you. Now here's the thing. Both of these people will stretch you. Read the book on that one, okay? 
Ron Carpenter can say it much better than I can. You read the book on the enemy. But the Barnabases and the Samuels in your life, they will stretch you. They will cause you to think differently than you think right now. And if they don't, you don't need them in that role. You might need them as a friend. It might, they may be great to go fishing with, but you don't need them in that role to be a gatekeeper into your destiny. It's the people that stretch the way you think. We need those people that cause us, that challenge our thinking and cause us to look at things differently and are stretching our theology and our view of ourself. And there is an uncomfortable nature to that kind of relationship. And a lot of times what people do is they, when they find those people in their life, they begin to take the journey, those coaches in their life, those people who will stretch them and pour into those mentors, those people that are already living in arenas that you want to live in. When you find those and they, they begin to speak into your life, often what will happen is there will be people that begin to take the journey with those type of people and then they'll get off the bus because it messes with their head. And they'll either judge that individual or they'll judge themselves to relieve the tension in their own soul. I don't know if I'm making sense, if I can be clear on this. What I'm saying is this. There's oftentimes there are people that God wants to connect you with to get you where you can't get on your own and take you places that you have not fathomed yet. And that may be, that may be in your spiritual life. That may be in, in developing spiritual gifts. It may be ministry opportunities. It may be business opportunities, whatever, because the kingdom has application to all of life. I'm just saying in this hour of transition where God's trying to bring you into a wider place, there are people that God already has at the gate of that wider place to usher you into it. But those people will stretch you and challenge how you see yourself. And often that can be uncomfortable. And so what happens is we either judge them. There are times where people will judge someone else's prosperity in order to justify their own mediocrity. I'm going to judge what you've broken into spiritually as fraudulent so I don't have to feel bad that I haven't gotten there. Then rather than humbling myself and saying, hey, I see that you, you have things in God that I desire. Would, could you... Could you share with me? I want to I wanna get coffee with you. I want to meet with you. And I want to understand, how did this begin to happen in your life? Rather than taking the road of humility and going low and say, would you instruct me? We stand at a distance and judge them so we can feel content in our mediocrity. Or we look at them, keep them on a pedestal. The, the first one, we don't recognize the godliness. And this one, we don't recognize their humanity. And we disqualify ourselves. Well, the reason God used them like that is because they're so special. No. They can give you what they have. And we've got to not judge them and we've got to not disqualify ourselves, judge ourselves. I don't know if I'm making sense here this morning, but I'm telling you, God wants to take us deeper. And there's some of you that there is this pent-up longing to go deeper in God and to give expression to what he's been putting in you, and God is putting people in your life, and you could, you're in danger of not recognizing it. 
That those people can be the key to open the door for you. That they will, they will teach you oh, an hour, in one hour over coffee, what it took them 20 years to learn if you'll be the humble student and sit and ask. But don't disqualify yourself. And don't distance yourself from them. Because I'm telling you that this season, relationships are always important, but they are crucial at this time. God is wanting to provide strategic relationships to your life. And he's going to bring people that will stretch you in how you think. And we need to be asking God, God, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I don't want to have these self-limiting thoughts. And the sign that you do is when others come and they speak over you what they see in you and all they get from you is an argument. Then what you know is there's some self-limiting thoughts that will have to be dealt with if you're to move into your future. You cannot move into what God has for you without confronting those lies about yourself. There is a whole lot more. There's never been a believer yet that has walked in all that God has for them. That includes the Apostle Paul and everyone else. There's more that God has, but you've got to be hungry and you've got to be stretching and allowing the Lord to train you and renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I almost want to go into question and answer time because I feel like I'm not getting it across here this morning. Let's, let's go down this path. Paul taught the enemy would establish shelters for his activity within the human mind. Let me say it again. Paul taught us that the enemy would try to establish shelters for his activity within the human mind. He referred to these as strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Some of you, I know many of us that get together and, and on the weekdays for prayer, a lot of us dial into, we, I've got the app, Dutch Sheets app, give them 15. If you haven't ever gotten that, I encourage you, get it and listen to it every morning. You can either listen to it by video or read it. I like to just listen to it as I'm driving here or getting ready in the morning. He had a great one the other day on this very passage. And he was applying it to praying for unbelievers, and I believe there is an application there. But that is not really the context in which Paul is talking. He's talking about problems in the church that are the result of bad thinking. And he's saying that we're going to go after this thing and we're going to uproot the enemy out of, out of the church. And he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And he's not talking about strongholds in the heavenly realms. There are battles in the heavenly realms that Paul will deal with in Ephesians chapter 6. But that's not what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about the battle between your ears. He said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds, comma, we demolish arguments. So strongholds are arguments. They are citadels 
or castles. They are uh, uh, enemy strongholds made of thoughts, belief systems. And if you are to uproot the strong man, you've got to deal with the stronghold. If you're going to get the enemy activity out of your life, you've got to confront the belief systems that agree with him in your life. Because as long as you're in agreement with the enemy, you have given him cover for his activity in your life. And so that's why we need to always be stretching and always learning and allowing the Lord to speak to us. Getting in the word, letting the word confront us. And let me just say this, that if when you read the Bible, it doesn't confront you and correct you, and if you're not on an ongoing basis reading that saying, that can't mean that, I've never seen that, then you're not really reading the word. The Bible should always be instructing us and confronting us and correcting us and we're building a theology brick by brick and the enemy at the same time is trying to build his strongholds brick by brick, belief system by belief system, lie by lie. And if we're gonna uproot the enemy's activity in our life and take the promised land between our ears, then we've gotta go after those lies and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, every area of our lives that are in disagreement with God's word, we're gonna go after those things. And we're not gonna tolerate that, we're not gonna make excuses, we're not gonna buy into this lie that we're the exception to God's rule. We're gonna go after this thing tenaciously and some of those things won't even be recognized outside the context of relationships relationship, but we're constantly going after those things, dismantling those belief systems. That's why I said a couple weeks ago that healthy relationships are a protection against the enemy's activity in your life. Matter of fact, you could say it this clearly, that much of what we call demonic oppression is the result of, un, of dysfunctional relationships. And it's not, that doesn't negate that there's a very real enemy involved. It just, it's defining the entry point and how you can shut him out. And the way you shut him out is learn to do relationships well. Because to the extent that you have unhealthy soul, you'll have unhealthy relationships and the enemy will have access through those relationships to begin to torment your mind. Again, that's why Jesus says, when a, a, a spirit is driven out of a man, that spirit will go into the dry places and then he will return to that house. He will look in the windows and find it set in order, clean and unoccupied. And he will bring seven friends more evil than himself and the end of that man will be worse than the an original. It's speaking of people who go through deliverance, find a measure of freedom, but end up in a worse place. Why? He says he'll look into the, the windows of that house. The Greek word is oikos, and it means not only house, but ha home and family and relational network. And I would propose to you what he's saying is the enemy will look into the dynamics of your relationship and see, is there still a way in? Is there some, still some unhealthy pattern, some unhealthy behavior in their life that I can get in on and I can ride in on? That is how familiar spirits work. The Bible speaks of this, this term, familiar spirits. What is a familiar spirit? The Spanish word 
that is very similar is familia, family. It has to do with these, this network of relationships. Familiar spirits have to do with your family line, but not so much because it's genetic as much as it is because you've been shaped psychologically by your home. And to the extent that you don't see the unhealthy dynamics of that upbringing is to the extent that the enemy can still ride in on those familiar pathways. So if you can tear up those roads, get the, <clears throat> excuse me, get out the old jackhammer and begin to tear up those roads and begin to do relationship differently than you were taught, then the enemy has no inroad anymore. And so these familiar spirits, what a familiar spirit will try to do is create a familiar sense, a familiar uh, a familiar uh, sense of the things that used to happen. You know, Paul talks about the evil day in Ephesians chapter six. He says, and in the evil day, stand. And when you've done all, stand. And he's talking about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Paul is saying there are some days that are evil day. Not every day, but some days are more evil than others. You ever been there? Yeah. And it seems like all hell breaks loose. And often what's going on is, see, Paul said, we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. The word, the Greek word there is schema. It's where we get the, the English word schematic. We are not ignorant of the enemy's schematic or his blueprint or the pattern of his dealing. What he tries to do is he tries to replicate some old dynamic from your life. I remember, let me give you an example. I don't feel like I'm being clear this morning. I'm frustrated. Uh, when I first got saved, I was a homeless alcoholic. And to me, I lived for the weekend. I drank every day, but the weekend was the big fun time. And I remember when I got saved, Friday afternoon would come along, and it's like my skin would crawl. I felt like I was missing out. I, I, I just, it was like the siren call of the street. You need to go out there. You need to leave Teen Challenge now and go and, man, you're going to miss out. There's all this fun stuff. And it was like this, it was like something was pulling on me. There were certain dynamics, even in the schedule that I had been trained, that this was where I was just going to let it go. I was going to just go out and, you know, live crazy. And all of a sudden, those feelings would come up, and there was a familiar spirit that would take advantage of that pattern in my life. And there were certain dynamics to that that would try to create those old feelings. And it is, let's put it this way, the way that the enemy is referred to in scripture there's a number of different terms that are used for him he's the father of lies he's the accuser of the brethren he's the prince of the power of the air he's even the lord of the flies this is how i think it works he's the prince of the power of the air he tries to create that atmosphere that is familiar those old things, and to the extent that you are not changed on the inside, it can begin to entice those old feelings from you. 
He's creating that familiarity. And then he comes as the father of lies. Hey, you want some of that. You still want to partake of that. And then right on the backside of that, while he's speaking in one ear, you want some of that, he comes as the accuser of the brethren and begins to make you feel guilty about feeling that way. And that is the way he leads you down the path until finally, if you, if you follow that thing out, he will then rule over your life as the Lord of the flies, literally you, the garbage heap he makes of your life. And so we've got to recognize the devil has patterns, strategic methods by which he works in our life. There are schematics, and you've got to recognize how the enemy operates in your life. And you've got to begin to tear up those old roadways and those old patterns of thinking. And when you feel those things begin to wake up, you need to have some self-awareness. What's going on right now? How is this working? What, what's going on in the atmosphere? A lot of times believers will own what's in the atmosphere. Whereas we fail to own what God says about us, we will readily own what the enemy says about us. We feel it in the air and we automatically just take that on as our identity. I would propose to you that there's a lot of godly men that are living under the guilt of lust when in actuality it's a familiar spirit on the outside of them planting seeds and they're owning that and they're spending all their time repenting of something they should in turn rebuke and even ignore. But we take on as an identity. There are times where I'll sense something in the room. I'll have some crazy thoughts. Okay, I know this is really disconcerting for you. I'll have crazy thoughts and I'll just, I'll just ask, okay, what's going on? And all of a sudden I'll be aware of something going on in the room. I don't have to own that. When I first got saved, I'd be like, what's wrong with me? I'm nuts. I need counseling. I need to be locked up. And I probably did at that time. <laughs> but I don't need to own everything that comes through my mind. A lot of times I'm just picking up my spidey senses. Oh, there's something going on in the room. And I can be the weapon of God against that rather than be a participant in it. Simply by knowing who I am. That's why your identity, knowing who you are, is such a crucial thing in spiritual warfare. If you don't know who you are, the enemy will slap, slap a label on you. And rather than being in the fight, you're over in the corner repenting and, and feeling guilty about that you're not there yet. Now I'm not saying, hey, listen, if a thought comes in your mind and it shocks you, it's not you. If you find yourself coddling it and thinking, hey, I'm going to go back to that later, it very well may be. And you need to repent and deal with that root. But if you're, if you're going along and all of a sudden you have this crazy thought and you're shocked. I remember, I was so relieved one time where Pastor Quimby Collier, many of you know Quimby, he told me, David, sometimes I'll be down at the altar praying for someone and all of a sudden I'll have a, this come into my mind. He's a little, I'll have a little old lady I'm praying for and all of a sudden this thought will come, you ought to punch her in the mouth. I couldn't believe that was coming out of Quimby. And Quimby said, I just know that's the devil. I thought, I'm not the only one. <sighs> Hallelujah. I'm telling you, man, I'll be driving down the road and all of a sudden I'll think, you ought to pull out in front of that semi. Well, what is that? I mean, I have some hard days, but I mean, they're not that bad. But I don't need to own that stuff. He's the father of lies. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the accuser of the brethren. But all that is outside trying to press in. I know who I am on the inside. 
And when I know that, it's a protection against the enemy. And so those familiar spirits will come and try to create that atmosphere, that feeling, and elicit those feelings in you and try to lead you breadcrumb by breadcrumb down those old paths. And sometimes it gets real intense. There have been times where I've had evil days. I'm thinking of one, I don't know, I've probably had some since then, so I'm not trying to make myself seem so spiritual. But it was about probably 10 years ago now. I remember being at the mall with my wife. And I don't know what was, go- what was going on in the atmosphere, but I'm telling you, I was in a spiritual battle. And it was like there was a, something raging in my mind. And, we did, and what did Paul say? In the evil day, stand. And when you've done all, stand. You just stand. I know who I am with the battle raging around you. And you can outlast the enemy. But just realize that there are familiar spirits that want to create familiar feelings and play off the familiarity in your soul. And to the extent that you are transformed is the extent that you have an immunity to familiar spirits because they find nothing familiar in you. You don't even relate with that stuff anymore. So your identity being transformed into who God's called you to be really is a defense against the enemy. Amen? All right, we need to pray because I feel like I've made very little sense this morning. So let's pray. Go ahead and stand. When you've done all, stand. Yes. (laughs) I tried to do it all this morning. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for each one of these this morning. Lord, I just bless them. And Jesus, we're asking that you would Train our fingers for battle and our hands for war. Lord, help us to understand. Lord, let us be able to say with confidence with the Apostle Paul, we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes, his schematics, his blueprints. We recognize them and we call them out. Thank you for it, Lord. just have this sense right now that there's, there's, I think there's two or three of you this morning that have really, really been tormented. We, we dressed it earlier in the service, but there's been a torment, just this raging thing in your head that you've been tormented. And the enemy's, it's, it's almost like there's a thorn in your brain he's pressing on, just trying to drive you. I'm going to ask that every head be bowed and every eye be closed. Who is that this morning? I just want you to raise your hand. Amen. Several of you. I'm going to just pray for you right now. Father, we come against that thing in the name of Jesus. I take authority over you in the name of Jesus Christ. We rend you powerless. You loose their minds now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.